The Church Media Podcast, episode 175, our most popular podcast episodes of 2018. Let's do it. This is the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams at your church. Exclusive interviews and church media training from the best minds in ministry and Christian entertainment. Useful, practical content in the areas of audio, lighting, video, stage design, volunteer culture, and more. Broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media, here's your host, Carl Barnhill. Hey guys, Happy New Year and welcome to the podcast. I'm Carl. I want to start this week by thanking you for all you do. I know for some of you, 2018 has been a tough year. You may have thought that your church or your ministry job was going to be one thing and it turned out to be something different, something harder than you thought maybe. Maybe you weren't expecting the politics of church world to be so prevalent at your church. Maybe you've been burned by a leader. Maybe you haven't gotten the traction with your volunteer team that you thought you might get. Maybe ministry is weighing on you. You know the churchy answer of God is with you, that he has called you to this, he'll provide a way, but sometimes it's hard to see him at work. And guys, I'm not here to preach to you. You get that every week. I just want to tell you that you're not alone. There are other creatives in ministry that wrestle with purpose and fulfillment. We're in this kingdom thing together. So if you ever need someone to talk to that is not on your church staff, let us know. You can call us anytime you need. Our number is 910-849-1230. I've been on staff at an international ministry in two churches, plus consulted with several others, and I know that it can be hard to share your struggles with the leaders because they're your boss and they're your church family. <laughs> I get it. So call us if you need to chat, 910-849-1230. I also have a great friend from a ministry called Standing Stone that would be happy to help you as well. Standing Stone's ministry is to be pastors to pastors, to be a shepherd to the shepherds. They actually have several ministry people that chat with them from the same church, uh, but the church staff members don't know that. Uh, They're very confidential. We're actually going to do a podcast episode with them later this year so that you guys can learn more about them. All that to say, there is help available to you, and it doesn't have to be big, dramatic things. It can be just you want to chat with someone who understands ministry but isn't a coworker. Call us, 910-849-1230. We love you guys. All right, this week we're going to be taking a look back at some of our most popular episodes of 2018. This past year, we've had some incredible guests on the show. We've had Jay Cranda from Saddleback Church, David Arthur, who's the CEO of Preset Ministries International, my buddy Luke McElroy. We've had another SALT speaker and coach, Dr. Andrew Johnston. We've had Ben Stapley, Brian Mann, Kyle Cutter, Alex Kendrick, who you know from uh, Fireproof and Facing the Giants, Courageous, um, all those movies. He he directed all those. Uh, We've also had the CEO of Movie Guide, Dr. Ted Baer, the CEO of Pure Flix Entertainment, Michael Scott. We've had comedians Victoria Jackson and Mark Lowry, Nikki Leonti Edgar from the Edgar Family Band, and others. It's been an incredible year on the show, and we've been 
coming at you every single week. So we're going to give you a little taste of some of my favorite episodes of the year. And for full episodes of the show, you can visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. That's thechurchmediapodcast.com. Okay, first up is a clip from episode 132 of the podcast. My buddy Luke McElroy had just released his latest book, Creative Potential. I had him on to talk about how to discern your calling, and then a few weeks later I had him back to chat about how to unleash your creative potential. That was episodes 132 and 133, and then 144 and 145, if you want to look those up. Uh, Here's a little uh, taste of those episodes. Check this out. My next question would be, in the waiting times and in the wondering times, what did what did God teach you? So you came out, you had no staff, you didn't know where to go, you you realize it's not a youth camp, uh, you're in this period of, of waiting. Uh, what did God teach you through that? Man, so much. Like, almost so much I could write an entire book on that question, um, <laughs> which is basically what I feel like I did in some capacity. But I, I just say this about the waiting, and I know that people listening are, are probably in a similar place. You know, they're trying to figure out what is their calling in life, what is it that God's really purposing for. I just encourage people to say what I learned in the process is that all good things in life require waiting. You know, waiting for your spouse, waiting for that child to be born, waiting for that job to open up, waiting for you to save for your down payment of your first house, uh, and maybe waiting for that person to get back to you about the job you're interviewing for. I mean, I even think about, you know, you go to movies and you have to wait for the previews to finish so the movie starts. Or you go to a concert and you wait for the curtain to open. I mean, all things in life that I think uh, are good require waiting. And it's through the Bible, too. You know, I mean, gosh, uh, just the ones off the top of my head, like Noah. Uh, I mean, he had to wait for the water system to do, right? You know, the dove went out and the dove had to return with the twig. There was a waiting process there after God had sort of ruined the world, if you will, or you know, mm-hmm. drown the world, and he had to sort of wait for life to start again. He had to wait for their second sort of season to begin. Joseph had to wait 13 years. You know, he had a dream in the field. That he was, his sheaves were going to rise higher than his brothers, and the moon and the stars would bow down, right? I mean, crazy dream. First of all, don't tell your brother that when you have that dream. Uh, <laughs> but he had to wait 13 years to finally find himself in Pharaoh's presence, uh, giving clarity to Pharaoh's dream. And that process defines so much of his character. I mean, Moses had to wait 40 years in the desert. Moses' people, I guess. And Moses never really got to the promised land. But anyway, it's just, I could go on and on and on. But I think so much of what I learned in the process is that um, God delights in the you that you are far more than the you that you're striving to become. And I think I had to figure that out. I think I had to get to this place where, it wasn't about what I do in life. It was who I was in relationship with God. I mean, it's yeah. a little what you said earlier about the Phil Vischer story, and, and this is one of the things I put in the book, is that I think in many ways one of the things I realized was that I had to come to a place where I fell more in love with the one who called me into something than I did fall in love with the calling itself. Right. And, and that's huge. And when you're at that place, then honestly the calling doesn't matter as much. Because you're in relationship with the creator of all creativity. Right. And you're in relationship with the, you know, God of the universe who's saying, hey, you know, all things are possible. And and now you're like, okay, I don't really care what it is because I got him. 
Well, I think I, it's funny because I think what you're referring to a little bit is I've I've got this sort of statement in my life that I've I've tried to stop saying the phrase I've been busy lately. You yeah. know, I think that's yeah. sometimes we wear that like a badge of honor. Right. You know, oh man, you must be so busy lately. And I just every time I hear that now, when someone asks me that question, I get the sense it's like a baited question. Yeah, <laughs> um, or when you, you say to say someone like, "How you been?" and they're like, "Man, I've been so busy." To me, that's a cop out. To me, that is me saying, hey, Carl, I don't care about you enough to say, hey, life's been really full. Let me tell you all the things that's been going on and invite you into my mess or invite you into my chaos. When we say the phrase, I'm busy, it sort of is this Band-Aid we put on our lives, and then we allow everybody just to sort of fly by it because we go, oh, man, you must be just so busy. That's awesome, dude. So glad you're busy. Well, busy, to me, has started to be isolated. And so some of the ways we can sort of – overcome that is just to make sure that you're constantly trying to find community. Um, Make sure that you find margin and space when you can and and protect that like crazy. I mean, protect that Sabbath. Um, It's funny because I talk to a lot of people in church media and they go, well, how do I protect that when everybody else manages my calendar? And I go, well, the first question is you should have a one-on-one sit down with your pastor and ask him that question or her that question, because your leader in your organization, if they are protecting Sabbath for themselves, which I rarely find pastors who don't protect their own Sabbath. Now, sometimes that may be message prep on a Saturday, just rehearsing or whatever, but most pastors take Friday and Saturday off if they're going to teach all day on Sunday, or they take another day of the week. And when you sit down and ask them that question, then you're inviting them into this very problem that maybe they're creating and they just don't realize it. And it's really a way of using sort of the verbiage or the mission and vision of an organization to try and gain influence. Around the same time I talked to Luke, I had another author from the SALT community on, leadership coach Dr. Andrew Johnston. His book, Fired Up, is a must-have for your creative team. It is chock full of great, great content. Here's a little clip of Dr. J. Well, I actually suggest two two things about this. One is to take some things off your to-do list, and that that sounds crazy. But I think the one that sounds even crazier is I, I want to suggest that you add some things to your to-do list to find more margin. So maybe the, maybe the first thing to do is to just identify the fact that margin's important to us. It's it's not just important to our sort of emotional and physical well-being, our our stamina. It's important to creativity uh, because if, if we don't have margin, and, and maybe it's worth circling back even to say what we mean by margin. Um, yeah. well, margin is, is the amount of the whole that's unused. You know, it's the area of the paper around the edge that you haven't written on. Or um, I, I think I in the book I use an example of the fact that every time I go to get a cup of coffee at um, my local coffee place, they always ask me if I want room, and of course they mean, do I want some room for cream? And I always say, no, I don't, mainly because I just want more coffee. Um, but after I get my coffee, I always turn around and put cream in it, um, and I fill it up, you know, right up to the top. I always feel like I've achieved some sort of victory if I can even get it. The surface <laughs> tends to be a little above the edge of the cup. <laughs> and, you know, of course, at that point, I always end up spilling it, making a mess and all sorts of stuff, uh, because it it just, I don't know why, I don't seem to grasp that the, the functional capacity of my cup 
is less than the finite capacity of it. So it's really, for all functional purposes, full before I've used up every bit of it. And I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about margin. We have to start thinking of, of our creatives um, or even of our own schedules as we are, we are optimally full long before we've used up every minute in our day. Um, and to the extent that we continue to fill up those minutes, we actually see diminished returns. It starts to degrade other things. So I, part of that is our resilience. You know, when we're over full, we start breaking down just as a, a human machine. When we're over full, our creativity suffers because we start managing ourselves to be as efficient as possible. And, you know, try as we might, really creativity is not an efficient process. If if we want to be efficient, we try to make sure that we rule out any unnecessary activity. We, we try not to chase any ideas that aren't going to pan out perfectly. And ultimately, we just we stay pretty close to all the things we've done before because they're the surest bets. Well, you can see how very quickly creativity shuts down in, in that regard. So this lack of a mar- margin actually hurts us in terms of our, our resilience and in terms of our creativity. And um, honestly, if, if, when we lack margin, we have a tendency to, to slice the pie thinner and thinner. But what I mean by that is if you're already fully subscribed and that more things come your way, even great opportunities, you've got nothing left to to subscribe to those. You just have to take what you've already subscribed and slice it thinner. So eventually, you're not really doing anything fully or wholeheartedly. You're doing everything just enough to manage it and keep it moving. And that's a recipe for disaster for creatives because very quickly you can be very productive and you can be unenthusiastic about everything that you're doing. I mean, you're putting your signature on all sorts of things that you're not proud of, and that's that's a recipe for disaster in your team. On episode 149 of the podcast... I welcomed recording artist Nikki Leonti Edgar. Nikki started her career in Christian music and got pregnant before she was married, prompting the Christian community to shun her big time. So I asked her about her experience being burned by the church. Check this out. I knew when I found out I was pregnant, there was only a few options for me. And, you know, I could have said that, you know, I eloped and we had a honeymoon baby or... um, Mm -hmm. You know, the abortion option went through my head. I even called the clinic to just hear about it, and then I knew that that was something I didn't want to do. Um, the option, and especially at that time in in music ministry, I knew that, you know, my choice was to hide it or to come out about it and know that that could very possibly ruin my chances of, of being able to continue. And... Um, and so I decided to come out about it, and, you know, things came to a screeching halt rather quickly, and, you know, the bookstores and CD retailers at the time decided to pull my records from the shelf, and radio couldn't play it anymore. And I understand I don't have any bitterness. I know that it was all kind of a, a domino effect, and people had boxes and things that they had to do, and, and I personally knew that. I mean, I definitely needed some time to kind of heal and restore my life and get back on track. But it was just like a harsh thing to deal with as a, as a young girl that was just really broken. 
Well, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you, you sharing that with us. And, and I know that it was a, a, you know, very hard time in your life, but, and I want to get somewhere that I think that we don't talk about in church world that often. And it's something that my wife and I are passionate about being in ministry for, for so many years is that just as you were saying, sometimes you kind of have to portray, uh, put on the mask even yeah. within your own church. So my wife and I have, I've served on church staffs and you almost feel, I've felt like you don't have a church in a way, because if you yeah. were to share certain things, it, it, what, what are you going to do in your small group? I mean, people are, are going to know, you know, what do you say? I have an unspoken, um, or do you go to, you know, to a pastor you can't really do that on staff. Everybody knows what you're what you're dealing with. So it, it can be difficult to have a church home, and it can definitely be difficult uh, kind of unloading your mistakes or failures or um, things that you're going through. Um, and so I really kind of want to get at this. Um, what does it feel like to be burned by the church, or what does it feel like to be on a church staff and and or or serving in ministry and not really have that place to go? Um, uh, or, or that uh, support uh, that you might need. So walk me through a little bit more of that time in your life. How did that affect your faith uh, and then your, your personal life and then uh, obviously your career as well? Like how did all that affect you? Yeah, it, it definitely affected my faith mostly. I think, you know, being a Christian and being raised in a worship environment and everything like it was something that was that was is so special and it had value to me and meaning and i believed it um it was it was difficult to be kind of cast out of of a you know church families or you know church um a church has wanted me to come in because i you know christianity jesus is is based in love it's based in restoration forgiveness all of these things that suddenly I felt like didn't apply to me as someone who was, you know, not necessarily in church leadership, but was in on a platform, which, you know, was supposed to live up to a certain standard. Um, it became very difficult when that grace that I spoke about and sang about wasn't extended to me. And it made me not want to associate myself with this, you know, religious group that had made me feel so, um, unincluded and uh it was difficult and i i related who god was to those negative voices or maybe my dad being difficult with me i i started to see god in that way that gosh you know i don't want to worship a, a god who feels this way about me and i associated all of the negativity to him so i walked away from my faith for several years mm. and i wanted nothing to do with it um you couldn't convince me that God was real at one point. And, uh, it was, it was hard. It really took a toll on my heart and, okay. um, and on my faith. And through the, the long roads and the craziness, God showed me who he was outside of people and outside of religion, outside of church. And it became a better relationship because of that. Um, I got to really see firsthand the love of God in my life and the grace of God in my life. And, um, and so that's hard. And I know I'm not the only person out there who's experienced hurt in the church and who's felt rejected for some reason or another. And this is, you know, you're saying you and your wife are passionate about it. And I am too. I feel like, um, there's a, 
a lot of people out there who, who don't walk into church because of maybe something that happened in their childhood, in their youth group, in um, their young adult life or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, there's just stories, young to old, of people who've experienced something. And so I'm passionate about, you know, sharing with people and reminding them to, to not give up on the church necessarily. And uh, there are loving people out there that aren't a representation of maybe something negative you've gone through. But also, there's this incredible God who doesn't represent that negativity, maybe, of what you've walked through it within that. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard, and I, I constantly talk to people about this topic, which is actually a pretty big one, I think, um, right now. And so I just I hope that can, people will continue to, you know, see God in a, in a different way. Episode 150 was a milestone show for us, and we had a massive episode. We had Alex Kendrick, who you know as the director of Fireproof, Facing the Giants, Courageous, and others. I talked about him earlier. Their new movie, Overcomer, is on its way out this year, by the way. Uh, we also had the founder and CEO of Movie Guy, Dr. Ted Baer, and the CEO of Pure Flix Entertainment, Michael Scott, all in one huge episode. I'll let you hear a little of my convo with Alex Kendrick for this one. Here you go. You know, years ago, I would have said that Christian films coming out in theaters were about the same spot as Christian contemporary music was in the late 1970s and early 80s. Mm. That it, you know, it, it, it was noticeably not quite the quality of what secular music was back then. But over the years, it has gotten really, really good. And um, I think the same thing is happening with Christian film. You know, a movie, uh, you know, a Marvel superhero movie or a Steven Spielberg movie will come out and it's made for $100 million. And it just looks incredible. Our movies right now are made for just a few million, but they're growing in quality. And I think now we're seeing movies like I Can Only Imagine, like The Case for Christ. Um, you know, uh, you know, we're we're still growing as filmmakers. We had War Room, and we're shooting another one right now. And you know, as those uh, as we get, gain more experience and, and invest in the craft, I think those are getting better. So it's amazing for me to go to the theater even today when I go to the theater and you see three Christian films, yeah. Paul, the Apostle of Christ, uh, the, the latest God's Not Dead movie, and of course I can only imagine, which is just doing amazing at the box office, and you see that the tide is shifting and more and more Christians are learning the craft at a higher level and we're making a difference in the uh, movie-going culture. For episodes 153 through 155 on the show... We did a three-part series on dynamic communication with Ken Davis. These episodes were meant to help pastors and speakers from the stage have the tools to communicate effectively to audiences every week. Ken shared his legendary SCORE method with us, something that you're going to pay for at a conference or an event. It was absolutely free to our listeners. It was great. Here's some of what Ken had to say. I would say that you never, and of course we can provide this for you, but but you never you never step to the platform without knowing first of all what is my objective and what is my rationale. That you have memorized. You don't necessarily have to manuscript the whole thing. Here's what I do for new messages: I manuscript the whole thing. I do not take the manuscript with me to the to the platform. 
Otherwise, I'm searching for that such, uh, you know, that very important word. But I do practice enough so that most of those words will be spoken, and the ones I forget, the audience has no idea that I've forgotten them. But I do memorize what are the opening words I'm going to say. What I, I should be able to tell my story without telling it word for word. I memorize my transition, and I know what each of my rationale and the supporting illustrations are. I don't need notes to tell a story, but I need sometimes to be reminded this is where that story goes, and it only takes a glance. The application is that if suddenly you forget what the next rationale is, and it will happen, you move quietly back to your podium or wherever your notes are, you gather your thoughts, you move away. I, I tell our speakers all the time, silence is golden. Panic isn't. <laughs> There's no reason to panic. Just go, look, find out where you are, and then move back and continue your message. Always know what your call to action will be. How do you want people to respond? In a persuasive message, that will be uh, what the next step they can take to implement what it is you've just persuaded them to do. In an enabling message, it may be persuading them to go out and start these steps now so that they can, they can uh, experience the results that the that the uh, directions or instructions or whatever it is that you gave might be helpful. Now, I'm only hitting the highlights of our episodes. This year, we also did interviews with communicator Ben Stapley, filmmaker Brian Mann. My buddy Steve Dirks did a three-part master class on ProPresenter. I talked with comedians Victoria Jackson and Mark Lowry, Christian music artists Jackie Velasquez and Plum, Directors Lisa Arnold and John Irwin, who directed I Can Only Imagine, and others. The churchmediapodcast.com has our entire archive, so I'd love for you to jump back and listen to those episodes when you have the time. We're going to land today's show with two clips, one from author Rich Birch, as we talked about his book Church Growth Flywheel, and some tips for church announcements, and then one final clip from audio legend Bill Thrasher, who I spoke to just a couple of weeks ago. Here's a clip of my interview with Rich first. Check this out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It needs to be intentional. And I think that probably is the overall piece. There are leaders, and it's maybe not your audience, but it's maybe the people they work for. Um, they, they see announcements as like a secondary kind of throwaway part of the service. It's like a, it's a giant hassle. You know, I've heard church leaders say like, I just need to get rid of it. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm like, why you're, that's the part where you get people engaged. Why would you do that? That's, that's a terrible idea. You have your largest audience that you ever get a chance to communicate with. They're in front of you and they're generally primed to listen at that point. Um, So you need to figure out how to leverage that and use it well. Yeah. And I think as we frame this discussion, I think that is our why. And I think you'd agree with this, that, that it is to, an announcement is to move people from the seat to the street, it's to move them into yep. action, um, and so to, yeah, to t- take pieces of the uh, part of the service to do that is is extremely important. Um, so uh, how uh, well let, let's talk through your your five pieces uh, of advice for enhancing our church announcements. So walk me through these. Your your first one is to narrow your focus, narrow the focus down. What do you mean by that? Okay, so I think most churches are talking about too many things on the weekend. So when you think about, again, if you let's get back to the call to action idea, I I do think that announcements at the end of the day are about calling people 
to do something like sign up for something, get plugged in, you know, take a class, whatever. Now, on a, on a typical weekend, you've got usually the preaching would have some sort of call to action to it as well. And so if you have um, if you have, like, say, three announcements or four announcements and each one of those has an individual announcement, there is just well-worn communication theory and you know, communication studies that show that the, the more asks you make of people, there is a, a significant diminishment in their effectiveness. And so their overall effectiveness goes way down. And so, you know, if, if, if you ask people, if you have one thing that you want them to think about, they'll have an opportunity to remember it. If you ask them to have two things, they're going to remember them less, three, even less, four, even less. So what I think you need to do is narrow down ultimately to what is one or two announcements outside of the teaching that you're asking people to talk about. And I know that sounds like heresy, but, but actually focusing in and, and, and having the conversation, fighting it out ahead of time to say, well, what are the things that are important to us? We've got, you know, the, the, the example I've used with churches, I'm like, okay, you've got 52 weeks a year. You've got only two slots a weekend. So you've got 104 slots a year to do an announcement. You need to get all, put the, literally put that all up on a board and say, okay, what are we going to talk about on these, these weekends? And, and I would say... Um, even more effective churches are pushing to only one announcement. So even one, just one thing, and trying to push as much um, kind of effectiveness into that as possible. As promised, here's our final clip of today's episode, and it's with audio legend Bill Thrasher. Bill was the audio engineer for Epcot Center at Disney. He served as Billy Graham's sound man for over 25 crusades. He was the audio tech for many great pioneer Christian artist, and was an audio lead for the Super Bowl. He was awesome to talk to and learn from. Here's a little clip from Bill. Uh, so obviously you've uh, worked uh, for decades in church world. I want to kind of get into audio world specifically. Uh, what are some of the biggest differences that you've seen? You mentioned like your first audio system was was tubes, and I'm sure you know. You, I'm sure you've obviously made the move from analog to digital, and and different boards and things. Kind of walk me through, kind of the evolution with you, and if has there been any struggles for you over the years? Kind of walk me through those different variations and how the systems have evolved over the years. I I don't think at this point there's been much struggle. I've I've embraced most of that as they came. For me, they were almost always good things. Right. Uh, the jump from tubes to transistors and then to solid state integrated circuits, those type things, they, they move from a, a analog audio to digital audio. Those have all been very good. Yeah, there's there's learning curves associated with every one of them, but that's all that's all fairly relatively straightforward. A mixing console with a fader that goes up and down functions still today like it did. 40 years ago. It basically hasn't changed that much. The the more interesting thing to me is it was simplistic. The, the more complex as we go along in time, the more everything gets more and more complex. And the question becomes is, is that complexity necessary is my big question. Does every input really need a compressor and a parametric EQ? Um, Yes, because I there were moments when I was on simple systems, on rotary knob systems, where I wished, oh, I wish I had an EQ that I could just adjust that one mic, and I didn't have it. You, you, I had to adjust all the girls' mics. I had one set of tone controls for the girls' men. So I had to, I had to, I had to compromise. But at the same point, I wish I had that. Today, I have almost, almost too much in 
front of me, and I and I and I, and I go back again to my original recording studio issue. There was very different than live sound. Live sound, you're always fighting feedback, you're always fighting noise. You jump in the recording studio, you're going to record this, but at the technology. I, I didn't have EQ again. What I, had to, what I had to learn to do was if I didn't like how the kick drum sound, I went in there and moved the microphone. I changed the microphone. I dampened the kick drum. I worked with the drummer until we got a sound that worked right. Today, it's just so different. Just throw the kick drum up there, throw a mic inside of it. Don't worry. We'll fix it at the console. We have enough EQ and dynamics processing and all this stuff. And I... And I, I I, I, I have a reaction to that because for me, I would rather go back up there and move the microphone in front of the, on, the, on the kick drum. I think it sounds better than trying to over-process. Right. That's my one big thing today is we're, we've, we've now become this community of how much processing can we throw into a mix, and is it, is it necessary, and are we actually getting better? My, my sense is we're not. Hmm. We're actually getting we're actually getting worse because we're we have we've never we've lost the fundamentals and we're trying to fix we're trying to replace the fundamentals with higher tech things and yet those very fundamental things for me when you set a, a guitar amplifier up and put a, a loud a microphone in front of the loudspeaker you move that microphone just a half an inch or a quarter inch you taint you change the sound of that guitar enormously. Uh, I would rather go up and do that and find the sweet spot before I touch the EQ. Um, that's my great concern today. Is so much of this. Well, we're going to have a we're going to put a mic on the amplifier. It's just thrown out there, and then you go to the console and go, well, we'll fix it up here. Uh, yeah, I think we've we've lost something somewhere in that we're we're over processing um, where we shouldn't be. We should be we should be going back and making sure we look at those early techniques and these things that are real core values. Is it the right mic? Is it in the right place? Well, that is going to round out our show for this week. I hope you liked our little trip down memory lane. Again, for full episodes of the show, our website is thechurchmediapodcast.com. That's thechurchmediapodcast.com. Our podcast has grown tremendously. It's been pretty crazy. And with that, we've had some great interest in specific guests to have on. So I can tell you that we're booked solid as of this recording from now through September of this year with dates for the end of the year filling up fast also. So here's who you'll be hearing from this year. My old friend, incredible recording artist and songwriter, Meredith Andrews. We'll start a two-part uh, episode with her next week. Then Kathleen Cook from Cook Pictures. Will Doggett from, from Studio to Stage. Stephen Brewster will be back for more. Bill Swaringham from The Crossing. Kenton Waldrum from Church Banners, along with my friend Adam McLaughlin, who just brought his family through South Carolina and hung out with our family for a few days. That was fun. Uh, the lineup is really strong this year. We can't wait to start cranking out shows for you in 2019. Our goal is to help you transform the worship experiences at your church. Our ministry does that through media content for your screens and by providing great training material through our blog 
and Podcast Network. Be sure to follow 1230 Media on social media. We would love to connect with you there. And subscribe to the show on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. Go out there and create some incredible experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. The Church Media Podcast is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media and produced by David Michael Hyde. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com.